Jesus, we praise You, we worship You tonight. How awesome is it to be Your people together in Your presence meeting here. We thank You, Lord. We praise You. Open our hearts now to receive what You have to say to us. We ask in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please take your seat. Thank you, band. Clearly, I am out of practice of worshipping and talking for a whole day at church um, because I've almost got no voice left. At the end of my first Sunday back after 18 weeks, hasn't been quite as strenuous for me sitting at home in my pyjamas drinking coffee and being at church. But um, bear with me. I hope you can hear me. Welcome to everyone who has made it out this evening. I echo David. It is so great to see faces here tonight. I actually, all the times that I've had to preach, I've actually still imagined you being here. I could see your faces out there anyway. Um, But it is awesome to have you in the flesh here. And welcome to all those who are joining us at home or wherever you may be tonight. We are continuing, actually finishing tonight in our series in the letters to the churches in Revelations chapters 2 and 3. And tonight we are looking at the letter, Jesus' message for the church in Laodicea. So join with me as we read God's Word together. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realise that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Bless your word to us tonight, God. This is a letter to the church in Laodicea, the final letter, as I mentioned before. And these letters were recorded by the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples while he was here on earth. And this revelation came as a vision to John, a picture um, while he was actually in exile 
um, away from the church and God's people on this little island called Patmos, which is actually off the coast of Asia where all these churches were located. And, you know, I wonder if John is sitting here at the end of his life um, before he receives this vision, if he wondered, you know, was Jesus, was following Jesus actually worth it? in the midst of the suffering and what he'd seen other followers of Jesus go through, I wonder if if he ever doubted who Jesus was, who he claimed to be. Did he ever question, was Jesus really sovereign? Was he really bringing about his kingdom? Because they couldn't really see it all the time. And then John receives this vision and And he hardly has words to even begin to express what he sees. The vision of Jesus is so incredible as it unfolds um, in the book of Revelation. It is beyond what he could have ever fathomed or imagined Jesus to be. He sees this unveiling of heavenly perspective what is actually taking place in heaven and on earth. He realises that what he'd known was only a really small part of what was actually going on. And he gets a glimpse of it here and he records it for us to know and see and be filled with faith for as we listen to these words, as we read this book. This letter was a huge encouragement to God's people. You know, they had been holding on to in faith, believing in faith for what they'd heard and received. But in this letter, they actually get a a preview into what will one day be revealed for everyone to see. This is hope for God's people. We see here Jesus' heart for His church, His people throughout the world. He reaffirms his call for his people to live as citizens of heaven, to be the visible expression of Jesus in the world, to be Jesus in our homes and marriages and families, to be Jesus in our schools and universities, to be Jesus in our workplaces and shopping centres, on buses and in trains to be Jesus in our communities and our cities and wherever we're taken throughout the world. Jesus is on his throne in heaven and people get to see him through us, in us. And in this sense, the letters weren't only written to these seven churches in Asia, the letters written to the entire church, to everyone who follows Jesus across every generation, everyone, everywhere. This is Jesus' word for us tonight, church. We want to hear it and receive it and be challenged and changed by it. Jesus introduces himself to this church as the Amen. An echo, I think, of what we read in 2 Corinthians 1.20, one of my favourite verses. If you don't have a favourite verse, you can borrow this one. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Paul says in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen, already accomplished in Him. He is the Word. He is faithful and true to His Word. 
But the word to this church that he has here in this letter is a hard truth for this church to hear. Jesus knows what this church is doing and it makes him want to spit them out of his mouth. Did you hear that? He says they're lukewarm. Have you ever um, had a cup of coffee sitting on your desk and you, you forgot how long it had been there for, but you kind of thought, oh, my coffee, and you picked it up and took a sip and it had actually been sitting there for a lot longer than you thought? Has that ever happened to you? And the first thing you want to do is just like spit it right back out of your mouth, right? Or what about if you're driving in the car and you're feeling thirsty and then you remember that water bottle that's been rolling around on the bottom of the floor for who knows how long and you think, oh, well, it's water, I'll give it a go. And it's terrible. Why did you even think to drink that? It's not what you hoped it would be. Laodicea here is a a thriving city, but it didn't actually have its own water source. Water was piped in from two nearby cities, one in the north called Heropolis, who had this hot, rich mineral spring water, and the other in the south, Colossae, who actually had this really cold, fresh water, and Laodicea actually piped this water into their city. But by the time it got to them... Through those pipes, it wasn't what it was at the source. They knew what lukewarm water was like. It was not good for the use that it was originally intended for. And Jesus uses this analogy that they're really familiar with to call them out, to tell them that their faith was lukewarm faith. And it wasn't serving its purpose or use. When we look deeper into the context here, Laodicea was a very wealthy, independent city known in the ancient world for banking, known for its clothing manufacturing. It produced this black woolen textile that was well known in the ancient world. It was also known for um, this medicine that it produced and particularly an ointment to help people to see, an eye ointment. This city was so independent and self-sufficient that it's recorded in 8060 after an earthquake took place in this area. This city actually rejected the imperial, imperial offer of disaster relief. They said, no, we're fine. We don't need it. Thank you very much. And it seems this attitude of self-sufficiency that the city was renowned for at this time was an attitude that it actually crept its way into the church as well. This makes a bit more sense when we hear what Jesus says to them in verse 17. He says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Maybe the issue for these people here is pride. The Bible talks a lot about pride. And some would say it's the root of all of our sin. Pride is that attitude that says, I have it all together on my own. I don't need God. I can do it all myself, my way. We see this attitude in others, but it's harder to recognise in ourselves. These believers had everything. They wanted for nothing. 
And I'm, I think that they had this attitude that they were the ones who earned this and deserved it. They were the ones who worked hard for it and because they'd made good decisions, this resulted in all of this good fortune and their lives were comfortable, they were content. Affluence can be such a barrier to faith. Think about this. When we have everything we could possibly need in life, is there any room left for faith? Do we even need to trust in Jesus when we seem to be able to just do it all ourselves anyway? Jesus wasn't against their money. Hear that tonight. Jesus doesn't have an issue with money. But when money or work or houses or material possessions, whatever that might be, when those things become our security, when those things define who we are, when those things are what we value most in life, then we are not living out our faith. There's something not right in that picture. It's not that we don't believe in Jesus. And I wonder if we don't get so comfortable with how our lives are going that we just kind of let our relationship with him slide a bit, kind of drift away to the point that maybe you don't really need him at all. And Jesus is left standing at the front door on the outside. Jesus has called his church to be the expression of who he is in the world. People are meant to look at us and see what faith in Jesus is. People are meant to look at us and see what difference Jesus makes in our life. And Jesus is calling out this church because they have become comfortable and content, self-sufficient in life. Their faith has grown stagnant and stale. And I don't even think these people realised that this is what was happening. Jesus has a very different perspective of them, doesn't he? He goes on in verse 17 to say, you don't realise that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The message version puts it this way. You are oblivious to the fact that you're a pitiful blind beggar, threadbare and homeless. Can you imagine knocking on the doors of the most expensive houses in the most expensive suburbs in Brisbane and telling people inside those houses that they are pitiful blind beggars, threadbare and homeless? This is essentially what Jesus is doing here. He is saying, wake up to the spiritual reality of how you are living. You might have everything in the world, but if you don't have Jesus, what have you really got? Spiritual blindness makes us think we're better than we actually are. It's kind of like um, those first, that first round of Australian Idol. You know those people who kind of walk on stage like everyone else does, but then they open their mouth and you go, what is that? And you kind of think, well, hang on, maybe they're joking, but they're not joking. 
they're deadly serious. And someone has to break the news to them that they're really bad. Clearly, they don't have teenagers in their house to tell them that just straight out, like I'm blessed to have. No, they have to go on to national television to hear the cold, hard truth. How awkward. And too easily, we can fall into thinking that we are better than we actually are. We don't see our spiritual blind spots. We don't see our pride. We easily overlook or dismiss our sin. And when we do see it, we compare ourselves to other people who are worse than us and tell ourselves we're actually doing okay. We get comfortable with how life is. And well, it's good that Jesus is there because other people definitely need him. But I'm actually doing okay. I'm fine. To live like this is to push Jesus aside. We don't listen to him as much. Our hearts grow hard to him. It's not always convenient to have him around. He might ask me to do something that makes me feel awkward or uncomfortable. If he's here all the time, it just might get a bit much. I don't mind having him around, but... If he could just stay over there, then I'm okay with that. This is lukewarm faith, church. I just feel like this is a warning for us to heed, even in this season that, we're, that we've been coming through. For some in this season, COVID has been a reminder of our desperate need of Jesus. Even this morning, actually, I was just caught up with someone and I said, how have you been going in this season? What's happened to your business? And they were telling me these incredible stories, miraculous stories of Jesus providing in those circumstances because they had nowhere else to go but to him. But for others, this may have felt like a season where lots of things in life have just been on a holding pattern. We called it a lockdown, didn't we? But I want you to hear God's word tonight. Our faith is not meant to go into lockdown. And our faith is not meant to go into holding patterns. In every season, we are meant to keep seeking Jesus. Keep on pressing into him, feeding on his word, church, knowing him more and more in our lives, actually seeing him work and move as we pray and depend on him and trust him and obey him. As we do this, we see Jesus act and work in amazing ways. As we do life like this, we see others come to know him. This is the most amazing life he has called us to. This is his mission and his heart for us as his people. And this is where life is at its best. You know, I just was in that pool this morning with um, two ladies who were getting baptised. And and I can tell you that there is nothing else that comes close to the joy of seeing people come to faith and express it in that testimony, witnessing who Jesus is in their lives. We're meant to join together as a church in celebrating every one of those stories. When men, we want to see that pool overflowing with baptisms because as a church, this is our heart. This is why we're here. This is what we are called to. 
not to be comfortable and self-sufficient and independent, but people full of faith. Church, people who are asking for more. Realizing our dependence on Jesus for everything and walking intimately with him. Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will also be. The things that are important, the things we value, will be the things that hold our heart. And I don't know where your heart's attention is tonight, but Jesus is the greatest treasure you could ever discover, ever pursue or ever give your life to. You know, I think this became clear for me when I went to the Solomon Islands and I was confronted by my affluence as I saw people who survived on so little, such simple lives. But these people had a joy and contentment that was so evident because Jesus was literally everything they had. They trusted Jesus for the food on their table. They had to depend on him for it to grow, for the rain to come at the right times, for the food to even be there. When something went wrong, when there was hardship, sickness, all they had was to cry out to Jesus, call on his mercy and grace, his help. When they sang, they sang with their whole hearts at the top of their lungs. Every morning, God's people would gather It would be before the sun came up, this shell horn blew across the valley, calling people to worship and pray and give thanks to God for the new day he was about to bring upon them, to thank him for his mercy and grace for that day. This is who Jesus wants to be for each one of us. Jesus is everything and is Jesus' heart for the church here in Laodicea is to find this again. You know, he speaks right into their circumstances here in verse 18. He says, you know, you want riches, but come to me for gold. God's word, God's word is the gold, the richness, the riches that we're after, really after. The Bible says his word's more precious than gold. He goes on to say, buy white garments from me so you'll not be shamed by your nakedness. These people who are well known for their black wool, Jesus was asking for a fresh understanding of what it means to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, washed whiter than snow. There's no shame in God's presence. Jesus has removed it all. And finally, he says, you know, you're well known for producing this eye ointment to help people see, but I am the one who makes you see. I am the one who can open your eyes to the spiritual reality of your need for me. I'm the one who can open your eyes to the spiritual reality of the life that I have for you. He's the saviour who opens the eyes of the blind. Jesus in love disciplines his children. He corrects them to set them on the right path again. You know, this is judgment, but it's not judgment without mercy 
poured out for these people to come back to him. It's like when you're kind of driving somewhere remote and your GPS signal ran out a long time ago and then you realise that your map does not meet up with the road that you are driving on. You come to that realisation that you're lost. Somewhere along the line you've gone the wrong way. And the only thing you can do is turn around. Jesus is calling us in repentance to turn around, turn back to him. We got distracted, we lost our way, but not for a second did we lose his love. He's drawing our hearts back to him. Probably the most familiar part of this whole passage is what Jesus says in verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Maybe you've heard this verse before as an invitation to those who have never yet opened their heart up to Jesus. A picture of impatiently knocking at the door of your heart. And if that is you tonight and you've never, never said yes, open that door, let him in. Discover life with Jesus. You won't be disappointed. But in the context of this letter to the church, written to people who already believe in Jesus, This picture of him standing at the door and knocking is about us realising where we have kept him. Realising that he's been at a distance in our lives. Realising that we've been living without him. Realising that we've been off doing our own thing and allowed allowed ourselves to drift away. This call to repent is an invitation to hear the knocking, to open the door, to let Jesus in. The best life that he has for you is not with him standing out there. It's having him right here. Sharing a meal together represents the most basic thing that we all do in life, we eat. And Jesus' expression here is that he wants to be so much a part of our lives. That eating is cool and fun. He wants to be a part of it all, right there in the middle of everything that is happening for us, everything that we have going on. You know, the very thing that the Laodiceans were seeking for themselves through their money and success and independence is actually found in surrender to Jesus. Did you see that at the end of the passage? As we allow him to reign in our lives, he allows us to join him in reigning. In the victory, he has won for us and won in this world. This letter is a challenge to us, church, not to be content with life without Jesus right in the centre of it. The faith he calls us to live is wholehearted. Every part of us devoted to him. Dependence on him is not weakness. It is intimacy. Surrender, it is the place we know how vulnerable we are and we are absolutely loved. We cannot ignore this challenge, church, because Jesus has called us to his vision and his mission of being salt and light in this world. That's what he's told us to do. The vision that he's given us of everyone, everywhere, 
We are the church that Jesus is calling to life, calling to action, to be His hands and feet, to share His truth and spread His love. The mission that He's given us is too important for us to be stuck in a lukewarm faith. He loves this city. He loves this community. And there are people, many, many more people that he wants to see experience the life that is found in him. As the band come and play, I came across this story again this week in my Bible in One Year readings. And I read this book when I was a a new Christian really early on my journey and I remember how much it impacted me. And I wanted to share this Story again. It's of Jackie Pullinger as a 21-year-old college student. She got on a ship and landed in Hong Kong. In 1966, she came to a place called the Walled City. It was a small, densely populated, lawless area controlled neither by China nor Hong Kong. It was a high-rise slum for drug addicts, gangs and sex workers. And she wrote this, God gave me a love for this dark place. I hated what was happening in it, but I wanted to be nowhere else. It was almost as if I could already see another city in its place. And that city was ablaze with light. It was my dream. There was no more crying, no more death or pain. The sick were healed, addicts set free, the hungry filled. There were families for orphans. Homes for the homeless. The new dignity for those who had lived in shame. I had no idea of how to bring this about, but with visionary zeal, imagined introducing the walled city people to the one who could change it all, Jesus. Jackie encourages people everywhere to have soft hearts and hard feet to fill the call that Jesus has given us. And too often, church, we have hard hearts and soft feet. We're asking God again to melt our hearts, soften our hearts, break our hearts, God, again, for what breaks your heart. Help us to live surrendered to all that you've called us to. we have an incredible vision and mission of Jesus to see many more people come into His kingdom, to see His kingdom break through in this city. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. It encourages us, God, and it challenges us too. And tonight, God, we come before You again and we just wanna say we're Yours, surrendered to You. Our plans and purposes, God, are nothing compared to Yours. And we are Your people in this place. In In this very particular time, God, You have placed us here to be the expression of who You are in this community, in this city. And we ask Jesus that You would give us this city for Your Name. 
We ask Jesus that people would hear Your Word and respond. We ask Jesus that many would open their hearts to You, to let You in and live the life that You've created them to know. Oh God, break our hearts again tonight as Your people. May we live surrendered to all You have for us in this season ahead. In Jesus' Name we pray, Amen. Church, we're gonna respond in worship tonight, but it has been so long since we've been together. If you have felt God calling, if you've had this Holy Spirit stirring in your heart, don't miss the opportunity to respond. Come forward for prayer, come forward and kneel. Come forward and worship, put your hands out. Be wholehearted in your devotion and your response and your worship as we sing together. Thanks so much, Ben. Just in this moment of worship, I wanna read this to you. I read it just before the service actually, and I think it's incredibly appropriate for coming off the back of what Jody just mentioned. It says this, it's actually in 1 Samuel 10, but in verse six, it says this, it's regarding Saul as he's about to be anointed King of Israel. And it says this, this is Samuel speaking. He says, at the time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them. He says this, he says, you will be changed into a different person. And then he goes on to say in verse seven, which I think is quite powerful. He says, after these signs take place, do what must be done for God is with you. And I'm reminded, this is a passage in the Old Testament, I'm reminded in the New Testament as well, that in Acts, when the Spirit comes upon them, He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now we know that the Spirit of God was given for the mission of God. And if you're, if you're a Christian here tonight, or you're watching online, you're a Christian, you're empowered by Him, all the power of God, all the authority of God, empowered by Him to impact the world around you your workplace, your university, the family in which you live, the neighbourhood in which you live, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to impact. So do what must be done because God says, I am with you. And He hasn't left you here just to dwell in the blessing that He has for your life. He's left you here for a mission, the mission of God. And so as we sing those songs, I surrender. Let this be from our heart, the desire of our heart, that as we surrender, that we'd hear His voice, that we'd know in our hearts, I'm meant to go to that neighbour. I'm meant to go to that person at my university. I'm meant to go to that family member. I'm meant to speak into that person's life. He has called us, do what needs to be done because I am with you, He says. And I pray that as we sing these words, you would surrender again and say, God, I am available to be used by you. I surrender, I surrender again. Let's sing it out one more time. Let's sing it from our heart. As we surrender our hearts to Him, Let's sing it out, church. Thank you, Father God, for Your Word because it impacts our hearts and challenges us. There's some here right now that that Scripture, particularly verse seven, was applicable to them. Do what needs to be done for I am with you. There's some listening right now who know that was a Scripture for them. And we just pray right now in Jesus' mighty Name, that just as we come before You and surrender and so You would help us and empower us to do what needs to be done this very week. 
We don't want to be a people that just dwell in your best blessing. We want to be a people ready for the mission that you've called us to. And every single one of us, you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. And we want to see the fulfilment of that taking place through our lives as we surrender and obey your prompting, great God. And so it could be just one thing, just one thing this week that we need to do. I pray you'd prompt us, you'd show us what it is, and then you'd give us the courage to walk in it this week, to step out, to speak, to do whatever we need to do this very week. We pray you'd help us with that, great God. Thank you for your empowerment. We need it, we need it, we need it. We're very ordinary. And so we need you, great God. So help us, we pray. And we are expecting of much fruit to flow as we do that and surrender to you. We love you, God, so much. And we just thank you again. And we just pray these things in Jesus' mighty and precious Name. Amen, amen. So good to have you online. So good to have you here. It's amazing to talk to you. God bless you guys. I really mean that this week. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, may God use you powerfully this week. And uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Feel free if you're here to head out the doors over there. God bless. See you next Sunday. Well, it's been great to join together today. You've sensed God speaking to you across this service. and You'd like to know a little bit more about what that might mean for you. We'd love to connect with you and you can email hello at bridgman.org.au and someone will get in touch with you. Or again, if you have a need in your life, we as a church would love to stand with you in that by prayer. You can email a request for prayer through to prayer at bridgman.org.au. It's been great to connect with you here today and we look forward to doing that again shortly.